telling you, it's, it's such a great gift just to hear a word. Now, don't make something up, okay? I mean, if you really are encouraged by something, I, I, that's what I'd love to hear about. Um, but don't, yeah, don't make up something. So, um, well, I'm so excited as we continue in the book of Acts this morning. Um, you, I'll let you just go ahead and get your Bible open early. Uh, we'll get there in a minute or two. But I'm going to just throw you a little a little curveball, and even though our series is in Acts, we're actually going to read in James, so you can go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 1. We'll be there in a moment or two. Um, Last week, we learned that our confidence in sharing the gospel comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit, like Stephen and the disciples were. We also learned that when others reject us for sharing the gospel, it's not us we're rejecting, it's Jesus who's being rejected. And rather than being offended, when that happens, we should forgive them because the truth is most people that are, we feel like they're rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus, they don't even understand who it is they're rejecting. They just have not uh, heard from the Holy Spirit yet. So we continue to pray for them. Uh, We don't stop sharing Jesus with them. This week, we're gonna see how Father uses the struggles and the current pain that we're struggling with to grow us and others, drawing them to him as a result of our response to the pain. Anybody have a struggle this morning? God's word says you will have trials, you will have struggles. It's, it's a part of our life in this world, and it's a part of our life in these bodies. Here's the thing that I have noticed in our culture today is that the most common reaction to personal pain of any kind is not, Lord, how do you want me to use this pain to bring glory to you? That is not the common response, is it? We aren't thinking, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful the transmission went out of my car. I'm so thankful that I've got the flu. I'm so thankful, right? That's not how we're usually thinking. What we usually are thinking is, Jesus, take the wheel, right? When we're in a trial, we're in a struggle, it's Jesus, take the wheel. Get me out of this thing as fast as possible. I know I'm not the only one who has thought that way. There are times that I even will say, Father, why, why don't you just deliver me from this situation just like the time when you healed me? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do that on occasion. And most often his, his response to me is, stop focusing on the trouble that is going on in your life right now and look at what's going on in the lives of people around you. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's neighbors. He, he, he redirects me and says, hey, think about what's going on around you instead of just thinking about what's going on in your life. You know, I think there is this misconception that sometimes we believe that, that God gives us those troubles, that he gives us pain, that he gives us sickness. And if you think with me just a little bit about that, it's, it's like saying, here, Bob, I am going to give you cancer because I love you. Here, Bob, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the transmission go out of your car this week because I love you. 
Think about really, that's, that's not how God operates. Now, we live in a broken world. And we live in a world that because there are people who make decisions that are counter to God's word, those things affect our lives. And uh, because we live in that broken world, there is sickness. Because we live in that broken world, we are going to have trials. We are going to have troubles. But it's not God giving us troubles. He allows them to happen, but he's not giving them to us like it's a gift. But understand He can use those pains. He can use those struggles and turn them to good. Anybody gone through a struggle and then later, after you're through that struggle, you can see what God did. And maybe you had an opportunity to share with someone else, this is what God did. I went through this and I came out on this side. Anybody have that? Yeah, see, it's proof that God takes those struggles, those difficulties, and he turns them for something good. No, we don't want to go through them in the middle of it. Nobody wants to. But when we get on the other side of it, God can use it for something good. I want us to look to the book of James for encouragement in this before we get to the book of Acts. And uh, I'll explain why in just a moment. But um, did you know... When James used the word trials or troubles, in the original language, it meant opportunities. How many of you, when you think of trials or struggles, go, yes, this is an opportunity. But that's actually what the word meant in the original language. In James chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, I know we don't talk about our troubles as an opportunity. But if we really think about them on the other side, on the side when God has brought us through, there's almost always an opportunity to share with someone else what he's done in our life. And our passage today in Acts chapter 8, it teaches us how the early believers made the very best of an incredibly difficult and painful situation. And their trials, their opportunities uh, were the very, very reason that this letter we just read, James, was written. What a lot of people don't know is that chronologically, what we just read actually was written right after Stephen was stoned. James is way back there in the back of our Bibles, but the reality is it was written right after Stephen was stoned. And so it, it will help you make sense of what I just shared with you in a moment. So let's go to Acts chapter 8. And uh, I would encourage you, you know, we are doing soap as a church. And if if you're not doing that already, I'd encourage you to pick up one of these cards on the way out. Uh, There's a scripture for you to read each day. You can write in your journal what you feel like God is saying to you, how it applies to your life. You can can write a prayer about that. But if you're a person who says, I don't know if I want to do that, I'd like to read the Bible this year. There, There are dozens of Bible reading plans. I'd encourage you to read it chronologically. 
there's a plans, there are plans out there that, that does it chronologically. So not the way it's put in, in the Bible, but the way it was actually written. I, this is the first year, and I can't remember how many years, that I'm not actually reading the Bible through in a year. But about every three years, I do it chronologically. And then each year that I read it, I read it in a different version. Um, because then again, I begin to see and hear things a little differently than I might have heard them the first time. So just another plug for you to read your Bible. It's that thing on your coffee table at home that looks like this. Um, or you can use your app, whatever works for you. But Acts chapter 8, we're going to get there. Acts chapter 8, and uh, it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed and so there was great joy in that city. Again, chronologically speaking, if we went back to Acts chapter 7 and verse 57, we see, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus received my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. See, what happens in this story is as a result of Stephen being stoned, Saul is raised up actually as a leader in uh, the religious church, not the church of Jesus. And he has raised up to a position now where he's going to begin persecuting the believers. He sees an opportunity in Stephen, and that's really where this begins uh, Saul in God's word. We'll see a transformation in Saul a little bit later in Acts. But because of this situation, it says in, uh, in verse 1, it says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through regions of Judea and Samaria. I don't know about you, but for me, there have been a multiple of times that God has used a crowbar to get me moving. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me about something in my life, something needs to change, something I need to do, but the Holy Spirit just kind of keeps going at me gently, kindly, kindly, and then all of a sudden, he just uses a crowbar and goes, don't you get it, Hinkleman? Does that ever happen to you guys? That's really what's happening here in the church, honestly. God uses a crowbar to get his children moving in the right direction. You see, uh, I, I really wonder if the disciples would have began their missions travels if this event hadn't taken place. 
God actually uses a horrible circumstance and a circumstance that now these people, they're on the run, literally. They have taken anything that they could and they are on the run trying to flee so that they do not end up like Stephen. And God uses this opportunity to begin to spread the gospel all over that region and then to become the world as a result. And, you know, we, we can't really answer that question. But what we do know is that the second tier of their evangelism efforts happened because they were forced out of their homes. It went beyond that day of Pentecost and it went beyond that region because now they could no longer be safe there. Now they had to go on the run. And what's so cool about this, not that they were on the run, but what I think is cool about it is in verse 4 when it says, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So even though they are running for their lives terrified that someone is going to take their lives, they are sharing Jesus as they go. What that tells me is that in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their troubles, they did not lose the focus that what really mattered was Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. And when he gets our attention, he can teach us valuable principles about what really matters in life. So, Even though these believers had the greatest of distractions, they were afraid for their life, they pursued Jesus and they kept heading towards him. I'd like us to watch just a short video. The way of the world, the familiar the routine, drifting toward the same ends, heading off in the distance, as if there was no other way. But when you meet Christ, you realize there's a different direction, a guide that invites you on a counter-cultural pilgrimage. You find a sweet harmony in conversation, in step with him you realize the blessing that it is to be near to him. He asks you to drop everything, to follow the path toward him. And while the walk is certainly not without its challenges, you are not left unattended. But it's easy to lose focus. It may not be intentional, but if you're not disciplined to move, the gap can widen and you'll become used to your callousness. He desires to have you close, and you remember how pleasing it is. But the affairs of the world can become rather overwhelming, and there are times when you feel trapped, times when you get preoccupied, distracted, pushed, pulled, bogged down, And you realize the instant that you're not actively moving toward him, you're moving away from him.
Remember who called you to this journey and run to him. There are so many little distractions in our life. Life will distract us from reaching others with him. And that doesn't even talk about the big distractions. Again, maybe we're struggling with a physical illness. Maybe we're struggling with a financial situation. Maybe we're struggling with, you fill in the blank what your situation is. But what happens is we begin to sometimes get focused on whatever that struggle is. Have you guys noticed this? We get focused on whatever that struggle is, whatever that distraction is, and when that happens, we begin to actually lose our focus on our relationship with Jesus. We haven't forgotten that Jesus died for us, and he certainly hasn't forgotten us. You know, his word says that he waits all day long with his arms open wide. I love in that little video where Jesus goes like this. Isn't that what he does, really? I mean, he's so gentle. He's like, come on, back over here, you know? Um, These believers in this passage, they were on the run for their lives, and yet they they still shared the gospel where they were at the moment. I remember at the time in my life when I was, was still completely disabled and we would, we would go to church and I would go in on my electric scooter and, and in the music part of worship, I've always loved that part of church. And that it's a time when I've been able to engage with Jesus in, in a way that I'm sure some of you understand what I'm saying. Music just is so important to me. And during that time in my life when I was so struggling uh, with an illness that they said there is no cure for, there is no hope for you, and I would come and we would worship. And during that time, I would just feel such a presence and a peace regardless of my circumstance. And I'd raise my hand in worship. And sometimes afterwards, people would come up and they'd say, I don't understand how you can do this. I mean, God has, has allowed this situation where you're physically disabled and there's no cure for this and your life, your livelihood's been taken away and yet you can worship him. And my Pamela will tell you that, you know, the rest of the week was probably pretty rough with me. (laughs) But those moments with him, connecting with him, the point I was saying or trying to get to there is that I was able to do that because I recognized that regardless of whether God healed me in that moment at that service or not, I knew that I had an eternity in heaven with him. I knew that his word said I'd have a new body in heaven, that I'd never have pain again. And so that began to be my focus. It was my relationship with him, my, my, uh, my win. That was my win. So even if the rest of my life looked horrible around me, I knew that I still had Jesus, that he had not forgotten me, that he was going to always pursue me, that he was going to do what he promised in heaven. And so I hung on to that in the midst of that. And and people, again, they'd say, I don't really understand how you can do that. Well, I can do it because the Holy Spirit is giving me the strength. I can do it because this is what I've got to look forward to. I don't know what your struggle is today, and I am not minimizing it in any way. But I encourage you this. Don't get so focused on the struggle 
that you get your eyes off of Jesus and what he's doing. I loved in that video as well when he, when he saw the young lady that he thought was cute. I mean, don't we do that too? I mean, it's just, um, well, I, I have one that I look at and do that with. But um, we, we who claim to be believers, we who say we're followers of Jesus, we need to stop being distracted by our own personal busyness, our struggles, our pain, our everyday life. We need to stop being distracted by that. Yes, we do need to walk through it. It's a reality. But we need to look for the opportunities where we can say, God, how can I use this? How can I use this difficult thing to draw someone else to Jesus instead of just focusing on the struggle itself? Think about the people who are around you. The people who are around you know that you're going through a struggle. Most of the time, they know what's going on in your life. They watch to see how you'll respond as a follower of Jesus. You know, unless your situation is highly unusual, and this is the one I think maybe frustrates us, is unless our, unless our situation is highly unusual, someone we know is going through a greater difficulty than we are. And it's not like we look at those people and go, thank you, Jesus, I'm not going through that. But it should help us to gain a focus and to say, you know what? Yeah, this is horrible, Jesus. I wish you'd change this circumstance or this situation. But it could be worse than it is. And believe it or not, there are people who are actually busier than you. I know that's a shocking fact. But and some of you are very busy but there are people who are busier than you. It's the truth. So, you know, we, we use these excuses, I don't feel well, I'm too busy, I have this in my life, but the reality is we, we need to stop using excuses as believers. And this passage today shows us that these people who are running for their very lives are stopping and talking about Jesus on the way while they're doing it. That's what God has called us to do. He's warned us against distractions, against excuses, against preoccupations, and he told us we're to love God and we're to love our neighbors. So what does this mean for you? The question that I would ask this morning and I think the Holy Spirit would ask is, are are you experiencing some kind of pain, some kind of trial, some kind of struggle in your life. How could this current or past trial in your life be used to draw others to Jesus? And again, I am not minimizing your physical pain. This is something that, honestly, uh, we talk about not on a daily basis, but it's a regular basis. You know, my my Pamela was rear-ended in a car accident at a stop sign several years ago, and she struggles with significant pain every day still. But if you talk to her, you will rarely, if ever, see that in her life because she's so focused on what's going on with you. She does the same with our family. She never talks about the physical pain that she's in, and we pray for her, and I believe God's going to heal her and restore her. 
But for me, she's such a great example in that you'd never know it talking to her. That it's hard for her to turn her head from the left to the right sometimes. You know, you might see her sit directly across from you because she can't turn her head like this without it being painful. Guys, we, we all have something that's going on in our lives. Do we allow it to be a distraction? Do we press on towards how God would use us each day? I don't know how God is going to use that pain, but I do know that she's a great encouragement to people who are in pain because she knows what that feels like. Is Father trying to get you moving back toward him? You notice in that little, uh, the little escalator, the guy just sort of got way down the road and you're like, where'd he go? And then you hear the footsteps. He's running back a long distance and Jesus is waiting for him. Maybe you got a little bit off track. Maybe you moved a little ways away from him. I just want you to know that he's waiting today for you to come back. And he's not angry. He's not mad. He's not disappointed. He's not ashamed of you. He's just waiting for you to come back from whatever it is that's distracted you from him. Who do you know today that's hurting that you could show Father's love to? You likely have a coworker or a neighbor or a friend who is struggling right now that you just reaching out to them saying, hey, could I, could I pray for you? Even if you don't see a miraculous change in that moment, you will see in that person's uh, spirit, in their countenance, something happens there. There's an encouragement. There's a hope that takes place. And what's distracting you from telling your neighbors? What's distracting you from talking to your coworkers about what Jesus is doing? How about your loved ones? What's keeping you from that happening. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up together as we close. A little bit ago, I was just talking about maybe how you may have gotten distracted. You may have lost sight a little bit of Jesus and you want to reconnect. I just want to give you that opportunity this morning. And so I'm going to just ask everyone who is here this morning, if you would just close your eyes uh, and bow your heads, no reason to be looking around at anybody else. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I, Pastor Bob, I need to reconnect. I got distracted. I want to get back where I was with Jesus. And if you're that person this morning and you want to do that, I'm going to ask you just to look up at me quickly as I look across the room. Okay, I see that. I see that. I see that. I see you. I see you. Okay. Father, this morning I thank you that you are always waiting with open arms for us. Each one of these people, Lord, you, you know where they're at. You love them desperately. And you have not disconnected at all. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw these back. Give them uh, that same passion they had when they first decided to follow Jesus. Give them that desire to pursue him and to do it without shame, to do it without discouragement, but to just recognize that, hey, they're back where they were before. There's no separation between them and Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Bob, I, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus, but I would like to have one. 
I'm going to give you a moment to look up as well. And so I'm just going to look across the room quickly as, as everybody is looking down. All right, I see that. I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat after me. There's a couple of people this morning that have made that commitment. I'd like everybody just to pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Jesus, I recognize that I have fallen short and that I need you to forgive my sin. Jesus, would you do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. And then one last prayer as we pray together. Lord Jesus, you weren't distracted. You stepped out of heaven into my life to give me comfort, forgiveness, and strength. You deliberately took the path of pain and trials in order to set me free from sin and death. Today, I want to put the distractions aside and be more sensitive to your plan to use me to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I ask that you would bless these, encourage them, strengthen them, fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit this day and every day. God, help us to see beyond the distractions in our lives. Help us to see the people around us who need you so desperately. Father, help us to just follow you passionately. In Jesus' name, amen.